your time so empty? No. Well, I, I run the office and uh, tend the cabins and grounds and, and do little uh, errands for my mother, the one she allows I might be capable of doing. Would you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. for another week. How are you? I'm fine. Let's introduce ourselves. Okay. I'm Penina Hoffnung. I'm the mom in Mom and Pop Culture. And I'm Ari De Niro, and I'm the child in Mom and Pop Culture, even though they, I'm not in the title. You're the titular mom in Pop Culture. I'm the titular mom in Mom and Pop Culture. Tantalizing, isn't it? Okay. I don't know that I've ever been referred to as titular before. Yeah, great. It's an exciting day for me. Okay. Well, it's an exciting day for me because we're go- we're going into new territory that we haven't explored on the podcast yet, which is into literature. Literature. So we're going to be exploring one of my favorite authors. Of course, the concept of mom and pop culture is we explore my favorite folks, movers and shakers in pop culture so this is an area of pop culture we haven't covered yet and we'll see that he's got his thumbs in multiple areas of pop culture wink wink because you don't know why i assigned you some stuff that i assigned you hopefully this will clarify it as we go okay so we're going to be looking at michael shaban hi michael hi michael we hope you're listening and we're going to be in particular looking at two of his novels of his many um, and we're going to be looking at one of the earliest compilations of short stories that he published in his writing career. And we're going to be looking at several songs which he wrote the lyrics to. Oh, I'm talking, now it makes sense. I'm talking, of course, of, I believe, the 2014 album Uptown Special, which was Mark Ronson's big breakout hit, which folks might remember, Uptown Funk being the number one single on it with recorded in memphis memphis tennessee my mother lived in memphis briefly so that's why that's a big deal memphis is always a big deal musically just saying for country music no yes that would be nashville oh Oh. i'm so ashamed it's all the same no one's so no one's going to sun studios and like knocking down the door ema you are gonna have to delete this. This is you are not is, right. Oh, this is so embarrassing. More people record in Los Angeles and New York. I don't know what you're talking about. 
It's not about numbers. It's about quality. Oh. But moving on. Boo-hoo. This is. <laughs> You're out of order. A little sidetrack. Anyway, I don't think the whole of that album was recorded there, but okay. Anyway, Mark Ronson, somebody we're going to cover later on. Kevin Parker, somebody we've already looked at a little bit, but we looked at his album artwork, so we weren't really looking at him. We're going to focus more on him in future episodes. So those are two people, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that you can look forward to us covering. So that's the kind of network that we're working in. I like to see how we're tracing all of these people as being interconnected. I don't know that we can connect Michael Shaban to any people, any of the people we've covered already, but maybe we'll figure that out as we go. Okay, so... We're going to start out... Um, because I don't know if I want to go on after you've dissed Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> I have no, Rattle and hum is great, I guess. Okay, let's move on. Let's start by doing a little spiel about Michael Shaban, whatever. I'm curious what, what you knew about him already, because you were more aware of him, I think, before I was, because I got into him kind of through you. But... Because you owned Cavalier and Clay. I still have Ah, uh, Because I owned Cavalier and Clay, yeah. Um, but you knew, I mean, he's far more your era. I don't know. I don't think he's my era. He's but your that's age. He's a contemporary of you. Yeah, so he's, yeah, okay. He's this generation Jewish-American writer. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess my generation. And as Cavalier and Clay points out, probably less on... Some of these, but we'll talk about it. He grew up very into sci-fi and comic books and whatever, and that kind of nostalgia and the connection of Jewish Americans to that kind of runs through his work. His kind of inroads, I think, for many of his subjects is the Venn diagram of like Jewishness and pop culture nostalgia from like his growing up in the 70s-ish. Where did he grow up? He grew up... We heard him talk about his most recent book on Terry Gross, right? On Fresh Air. And I think he said he grew up like in New Jersey or something, like northern New Jersey. But of course, his whole life now is very much, he embraces California and being a Berkeley native, even though he's a transplant. But so much of his work, most especially Telegraph Avenue, which we're going to talk about today, is very like Bay Area centric and you know, I like many of these folks, I follow them on social media. And he's, you know, he's got his California Republic flag outside his house. And he's very, like, proud. And especially he goes to a lot of the, when I lived in the Bay Area, a lot of the bookstores I used to go to, he frequents and he'll go and do, like, personal signings. And he tries to maintain a relationship with, like, the local bookstores and give back to the Berkeley community especially. I remember when this book first came out, the way I found out about it was I was living there at the time and they have a big like book festival in Berkeley and I had like just missed a panel he was on or something and I was kind of upset about that yeah so (laughs) so the other thing I know is about his marriage right to Ayelet Waldman who's also a fiction writer right and uh, his second marriage okay um it's important is it I think it's important because, obviously, as two Jews, you and I, Kessel out of the back, looking at 
work of other Jews in pop culture, and most especially this author, so, you know, Jewish with a capital J in his work, I think something he's talked about is like his relationship with Judaism and the fact that his first marriage was an intermarriage. And so much of the tension and things, even though he doesn't consider himself super religious, but like I was even looking at um, what he wrote as his dedication in uh, Yiddish Policeman's Union, because I was just flipping through to see, like, to brush up on what year it was published. I thought it was 2007. I was right. But he says, to Ayala Bashert, which I think, obviously, there's that Yiddish connection to the rest of the book, but, you know, the idea of having a soulmate, which that is, for those of you who don't know, is, I think, he connects, obviously, culturally with a lot of Judaic concepts, even though he has this like weird push-pull with Judaism as a religious practice. And like we heard him talk that on, on that one interview, he sees all Judaism as being like, or all religion in general as being like too extremist or whatever. And so he's kind of shied away from it now and stuff, right? Yeah, you sound like that's like strange. I don't... Not that it's strange, I'm, I'm just... I'm a religious person and I can see his view. But right, like, I can... I mean, we are absolutely living on time that the excesses of organized religion are rearing their ugly head. Sure, but... I get it. What I'm saying is I think it's important for this work, even before we get into themes and the structure that everybody's used to of the podcast, of our show as it is. Like, this work is deeply steeped in, like, again, Jewishness, but not necessarily Judaism. So for people who aren't, like, up on <laughs> the kind of nuanced differences, it is kind of like, it is, but it isn't kind of, so I don't know. I don't know. How would you describe that divide for the uninitiated? Well, Judaism, strictly speaking, is the religious aspect of it, but, and Jewishness would be the more ethnic part of it. The thing about Jews is it's all kind of... Intertwined. Intertwined and hard to pull, you know, to cleanly say this is just ethnicity and this is just religion okay. they're all kind of mixed in there i think that's a good way to approach it even our atheism is religious you know right. like that's, it's just kind of that's what i'm trying yeah. to say is he, he so in that interview that i keep referencing he talked about how after that first marriage he leaned in more to like the religious aspects and whatever and he's become more and less religious or whatever you know it ebbs and flows for him but I think, like you're saying, even in his lesser than religious times, like the ethnic part of it maybe is so inbred that it's it can't be fully divorced. Forgive the pun. Okay, that's a great starting point. So let's now plug into our first staple. What do you think the theme is, or a good theme? I've already talked about a few. I think there are a few overlapping. Now that you know about those songs, I think look at the scope of this work with the songs. Because the songs, I hazard to say, don't have anything Jewish per se. So although that's a theme that he's interested in. Yeah, they seem like a red herring here, but okay. I don't think so. Okay, so theme for me in the novels, and of course I haven't finished Cavalier and Clay, even though I've owned it for over a decade, I'm sure, is, how do I say this, cadence or... Mm -hmm dialect it's almost like i was thinking about this as i uh, it's almost like he picks pieces of paper out of a hat mm. that's what woody allen does by the way and that's says, how he... <laughs> and you know and says comic books uh -huh. or yiddish right 
alternate histories, you know, like, and pulls them up and, like, mixes these things together. Right. So Telegraph Avenue, the cadence was jazz and sort of the character reminded me a lot of you, actually, in this whole pop mm. culture collector kind of thing. But the cadence was like a jazz thing. Also, the city itself being a character in the thing. So there's this dialect or something. And then the Yiddish policeman's union. I mean, what was interesting about that was the concept that this was all in Yiddish, right? That like 95% of the dialogue was supposed to be in Yiddish. So the thing that got me was like, okay, supposed to imagine that this whole thing was taking place in Yiddish, but it was English. And so it was the English trying to capture the cadence and the dialect of a different language and that it's Yiddish. And, you know, you can almost hear like Rodney Dangerfield or like some of the old Jewish comedians. Like like, Borscht Belt. Kind of doing it. And the Yiddishisms that get in there. Although I have to say, I was kind of wondering like, okay, if you dropped this on like, all right, let's go with my neighbors in Memphis, Tennessee and had them read this. Like, would they have to be checking a glossary all the time? Sure. Like, I, how accessible was this for a non-coastal? Sure. But what I am thinking is, we were listening to something earlier today that was talking about A Clockwork Orange, which is infamously written in, like, future speak that's, like, almost Shakespearean in that it's, like, it's written in what English would have evolved into, and it, it's notoriously known as a tough read. So I wonder if this would be something similar. Or like when I see Latin or something in books and I kind of gloss over it and it's it's almost like you can get stuff from context. I think, of course, if you get it on that level, you're getting it, getting it. But... I think the difference here is that in, in the future speak, none of us speak that. So we all, all readers share that not being able to get it the same way. This one, right. I have a different because I grew up in a similar background to him, I have a different feel for it. I can imagine it in my head easily, even though I don't personally speak Yiddish, I can understand. Sure. Like I, You get like the cadence and stuff. I'm just not sure how accessible it is well, for somebody who's not from that culture. Sure. I guess that's a good place to start as any, is talking about that book in particular. Typically we go chronologically through. But yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that's the peak of that. But there's throughout Telegraph and Werewolves in Their Youth, which is the short story compilation we're going to be talking about. It's even more complicated, I think, in those cases, because in those, it's just part of it. There are just Yiddishisms and kinds of things, almost like it, it makes me think of, you know, the Coen brothers option the rights to Yiddish Policemen's Union, and I think they're very similar in their approach to filmmaking, right? That, like, with a serious man in particular, there's a very strong focus into, like, Minnesota suburban jewelry that, like, is very, very specific and is just almost taken for granted that you, like, understand it. It's just presented as, like, yes, this is how everyone was raised. Like, throughout the voices of whatever characters and narrators are in this, there's all kinds of references, I think, to his childhood. And certainly one of the themes I think we can look at is, like, very specific references. 
like very, very specific <laughs> references that are just one right after the other. He is, I think, almost, when you talk about that collector character of pop culture, like that's a kind of autobiographical, wouldn't you say? Because well, I think, it, okay, so it's very hard not to be to some degree autobiographical if you're a novelist, but... I think he's quite autobiographical. I think he's very autobiographical, but you have to be autobiographical and interesting and accessible enough for people to be engaged in it as well. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, uh, your own mental... And and I want to say say something else that is going to piggyback on your idea, because I think it's a good one, the idea of cadence. I think there's a similar like prose and voice to these like you can tell it's him writing them I mean no actually I thought not actually I thought like I said he picked these like pieces of paper and he said you know this time I'm going to do it in this right but it's still the Shaban universe I was looking at his Wikipedia page. There's like a, a tab, the Shaban universe. That's possible. It's a specific but, kind of right, but for worldview. Right, but, but what I was gonna say is. When you say the idea of cadence, what I think is interesting about that is I want to take it further and say, like, there's a musicality to it. Uh-huh. And that's how I think it connects with the lyrics. Uh, I see. And okay. Mo- most especially T- Telegraph Avenue, which is the most recent of these books that we're looking at. There, uh, he's come out with two books since this. Moon Glow, which is on my shelf, still haven't read it, but I hear good things. And uh, that Pops book, which is more of a... Memoir, it, right? Which he has another memoir, Manhood for Amateurs, that I purchased and read a bit of when I was living in the Bay Area way back when. But that said, I think the ideas of like not only is there jazz and fusion and whatever in Telegraph Avenue, I think there's a lot of black exploitation kind of referencing, right? There's a lot of kung fu references in terms of like the filmic vision of it right stuff talking about you know another person known for pastiche and referencing that like tarantino was referenced in this and whatever i think even the colors of the cover maybe red and yellow kind of speak to both let alone the nostalgic they i love this cover just because obviously because it looks like a record and i think the covers in general he there are some variant covers but he tends to work with the same graphic artist who does some great work on this one but that all said, I mm-hmm. think there is this like funk thing that is also present in this book. That's what's really cool to me then is when he works with Mark Ronson on a ostensibly funk record, you know, and here he's constantly kind of like Questlove's memoir, where there's like a playlist going on, almost like a soundtrack, because there is this cinematic kind of soundscape thing going on that he's trying to speak through the musical references and whatever, the Carol King even, and things like that. There's a Stevie Wonder feature on that album, which we'll play and we'll listen to. That's the second part of one of those songs that he wrote. And now he's got the people that he's inspired by singing the words that he wrote. There's this kind of culture folding in on itself that the pop culture fanboy kind of person that he's right and that sort of and now he's making jewish black kind of right oh how we like admire <laughs> right that sort of the jewish kind of admire for like just the black cool factor we wish we had and so we kind of we are like just fans it, of it but also kind of feeling somewhat kindred I think probably Jews feel more kindred than blacks feel kindred about us. But, no, but there, but, there definitely but there is that is thing. And, and that, for me, was also very reminiscent of my new 
Jersey right. background. So maybe we have that together. And I think Mark Ronson, it's like a match made in heaven because Mark Ronson, of course, also is this white Jewish guy who's kind of a younger version of Michael Shaban almost, who pioneered, you know, producing Amy Winehouse. And he just most recently won the best right. song at the Academy Awards for co-writing it with Lady Gaga and he produced Lady Gaga's last album. Right. The so. list goes on. And of course it's collabs with Kevin Park and all this stuff like we've talked about. So So Telegraph Avenue actually gives us the plain playlist. Right. Um but the the I think the background music of right. of uh, Yiddish Policemen's Union is like by Mirbis Duchesne or something like, right? You would have these like 1940s, 50s kind of... Well, I think it's interesting too when that this book is taking place. It's also cinematic in its noir way. I think you have to back off and sort of explain the book. And I think we should also sort of explain why it has a special connection for us necessarily. But through the wonder of podcasts, you cannot see... That my child is wearing an Alaska T-shirt. An Alaska T-shirt. So as, our, as many of my uh, <laughs> as many of, uh, my, of entire, my child's uh, wardrobe yeah, is Alaska T-shirts because we have this special connection. Right. So to my Alaska. father, a large part of his research, half of it is in Israel and half of it is uh, in a native village in Alaska, and there's also this very real thing that the Michael Shaban alternate universe like we're saying is based on which is the competing ideas with alt new land after the publication of this der judenstadt of this idea by theodore herzl largely which had actual kind of tactile ideas to hold on to about an actual jewish state in the 20s they floated around all these ideas in of not just building a jewish state in the middle east in the quote-unquote holy lands, but Herzl himself also details a plan to... Yeah, Herzl thought it was crazy. Well, uh, Herzl thought... In Palestine. Right, so So, he thought possibly in Argentina, and there was discussion of, like, in the Congo... Uganda. Uganda. Uganda, okay. But Argentina, he details specifically a plan for Argentina... And Uganda, and then there was one also... For Grand Island, Grand Island New, New York. York. Yeah. So there and, were all these. And Sitka, Alaska was one of the ideas. So this trades, of course, the Palestinian for the Native Alaskans. And... Well, no, it actually says the Zionist. Right. The Zionist state. It didn't work. <laughs> like they got they got their butts whooped sure. by the Arabs so that that, that didn't happen. But it's... And, so there, and so there was this refugee crisis. And as a temporary solution, uh, the Jews of Europe and I guess the survivors from this debacle in uh, Palestine got um, placed in Sitka, Alaska, and with a temporary, like, we'll deal with the permanent, like, solution to this eventually, but they created this Right. A mini state within Alaska, much yeah. to, of course, the native Alaskans' chagrin. And so that's the sort of premise of this book. So for our family, it sort of resonates on a lot of different levels. Sure. And like I say, in terms of pop culture, like news, uh, around its publication, it was the rights were bought by the Cohen brothers. And so they hung on to it for like a decade and never 
it just didn't happen as a movie or whatever. So and does it revert back to somebody else now? It reverted back say? to Shaban. And so as of like as of this past New Year's, so he and his wife, Ayala Waldman, have been shopping it around and it's going to be made into a TV series. Played by it, Netflix? Like a Netflix kind of series? NBC, believe it or not, had hmm. first like first refusal or whatever. Uh this is based on what I read in Deadline. Again, he shares all of this stuff. He's a good person to follow on Instagram. Highly recommend. But that's happening. And the other thing I want to say before we get too far off, and maybe we can talk about this in the context of like werewolves in their youth, or something like that, is he's most notably also the like head writer of the new Patrick Stewart joint of a new Captain Picard series coming to CBS All Access following, you know, Star Trek Discovery has been very successful for them, so they're expanding all the Star Trek properties, and who better to get than, like, Star Trek fanboy number one, Michael Chabon. So he's been posting pictures from set and all of this stuff, and Patrick Stewart is back, and it's all very exciting. But again, it's that kind of thing of, like, you write the fan fiction, so to speak, and then that becomes the reality. Like, Star Trek The Next Generation, at a certain point, they started taking scripts from fans. Fans would send in scripts for episodes, and they would, and, and that's how they were writing it. It's that. It's sort of the prototype for what right? eventually took over. It's all like the, DIY the right, fan right, culture. Right, right. Is, you know, but I almost think that like was one of the first ones that that happened. When we talked about Brooklyn Nine Nine and how like fandom can bring a show back, or you know, the, the effects of it. So like. You know, he's he's living his childhood dreams. He's posting pictures of, you know, all his Star Trek, you know, paraphernalia or whatever. Even there's a character in Telegraph Avenue, right, who sells collectibles and all that. So there's a lot of, like, meta <laughs> stuff happening. I also think that's a very Jewish-American... That has, that has mm-hmm. antecedents, like, oh, way back. Like, I always go back to, like, 80% of Christmas songs in America are mm-hmm. written by Jews. And so Jews were sort of both sort of in awe of this Americanism and then like creating it at the same time. So they took this religious holiday and made it this winter secular right. extravaganza. So they were both sort of like in awe of this culture, but also transforming it and becoming right. and well, becoming working the, it behind the scenes kind of. Right. Well, and becoming the culture creators as well. Right. And the character in Telegraph Avenue is clearly like in love with this stuff. This is a love affair. Like in fact it's a much more passionate love affair than with his wife mm-hmm. in this. And that's kinda I, I think that's like a very Jewish thing, this just being in love with America in a really big way. And then like and to this day surprised by it, then becoming the arbiters of the culture that they're so in love with. And I'd say it's kind of interesting too how his work mirrors that kind of history it's a very modern history but starting with cavalier and clay which is based on uh, yeah it's very self-conscious about knowing that history right it's that but it's also it's built on the template of uh, the creators of superman who were these jewish kids who were making comic books and whatever right so like i watched um i took a course in college that was about the history of comics or whatever and we're watching this PBS docu-series all about the history of comics and who's the talking head who just shows up but Michael Chabon because he just has that knowledge and is just like as a fan of this just knows all about you know and he's talking about the history of 
Jews in comics, and he, he's like the go-to kind of like historian almost, or pseudo-historian for that kind of stuff. And of course, as now a celebrity in his own right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, so. Well, it, it ought to be mentioned, like, he does have like representation and is he's very much like uh, again like a capital C celebrity not just that he has literary representation but he has you know talent representation that he's part of like UTA or one of those talent agencies because he's like working in industry like we were talking about David Mamet before the show is not only is he the writer of these plays but he's also directed in his own right and as you know it gets into all these unions and all the screen actors guild and all of that but anyway what i want to ask before we transition into listening to the music is i know you had known of these books or whatever and you had wanted to read yiddish policeman's union in particular for a while how do you it stack up in your mind what was your actual like takeaway how did you feel about it because we've talked about like i think for what they are like, we've talked kind of objectively, we have a love for them, but did it live up to the concept? Because the concept is very cool and whatever, but then there's the actual book. You know what I'm saying? So I came up with this whole backstory for it. Like, clearly, Walt and Shabans were on va- uh, with summer vacation in Alaska, and he was like, cool, I'll make this, like, the thing. I enjoyed it. I have to say, at the end, I, it just, I got lost completely. I have no idea what he was doing with the end of that mm-hmm. thing. I also have to say, there's a period where after 9-11, where even my favorite authors were all doing this thing where things just blow up. Mm. Like, and, and that becomes like a part of thing. I mean, this is far Right. Far, but it's after. Right. I get irritated with it. You know, like, I I get why you're doing it, but I get kind of irritated with it. I get blowing up up the Dome of the Rock. Okay. You know what I mean? Things were being blown up before 9-11. No, but all of a sudden, like, even Sherman Alexi, like, things, like, there's short short stories where suddenly just, like, everybody in the short story blows up, like, or it ends that way, or whatever it is. And this, like, blowing up the Dome of the Rock. Well, I don't, you know, I've seen Israeli movies that are all about that kind of thing. So for me, that was, like, okay, not a shocker, not a whatever. Moving on to Telegraph, what did you think? I liked it a lot. Better? Worse? Wait, I have to rank them? I'm just curious. I just... Because there is a difference, and there's a progression, right? We've got, uh, this one's from 2012. No, like I said, I think, like, this one, he was going with, like... Jazz as the... But they're equal in your mind. Yeah, I think they were both very good novels. Okay. I think they were both very good novels. What do you novels. think about... So you Less a, on the short really, stories. Like, really not. So this is... The short stories, the this short is published stories. in 99. Well, I'm glad, because sometimes, like, what happens to me is I really like somebody's early work, and then I get disappointed as their career well, goes on. So it's okay with me that I don't like the short stories quite as much, and I, sure. I did enjoy these. But why so, I picked... I wanted you to focus in particular on one story in here, which was Son of Wolfman. And why I picked it is there's that thing about midwifery that later comes back in Telegraph. So I wanted to kind of track track that point. Throughout his work, uh, also, we ought to say, because he says as much, there's this thing about manlyhood and fatherhood. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I think it's about. I don't think it's about the midwifery. I would think it's about... Sure. Oh, no, I... Absolute trauma that that happens to men when they they go through, like, their 
partner's pregnancies. Absolutely. Like, I mean, absolutely trauma. I think that would be like theme number one in the same way. I think of it like Spielberg has that thing about like families and whatever. Divorce and, and all divorce that stuff. That, and how families persist right. even after. And, but, like, I think Michael Chabon, again, I think he's very self-aware that that's something. Manhood for Amateurs being a title of one of his books and Pops being his follow-up to that. So I think there is like self-awareness in that aspect. But I think as with, you know, go-to is Charles Dickens, you know, how many different stories did he write with different spirits around Christmas? Not to mention Ray Bradbury wrote several different stories about books and book burning and whatever. Short stories that then ended up being Fahrenheit 451. I just, it's interesting to me to be able to track what, you know, the midwife thing it is this kind of here are the disparate elements or you can kind of see his thematic spice rack <laughs> that he you know yeah a little bit of this a little bit of that and then you get this novel but looking at a 13 year span it's interesting to me that that's something that sticks in and he feels the need to return to or so i think that's interesting so we're getting to the point now let's listen to those two songs and talk about that a little bit as it relates Okay. Not a big fan, I have to say. My first reaction, didn't love it. So this is Daffodils from Mark Ronson from that Upbeat Special album featuring Kevin Parker. Now, notably, Michael Chabon's not the only writer, he's a co-writer, but he, he basically sent, like, these lyrics off to Mark Ronson. Mark Ronson, like, sought him out in particular. What I want to point out as we're listening to this is, so the song is Daffodils and there's this whole imagery of this flower power kind of infusion into this too and the funk thing and I think where I see his signature on this is it's very imagery laden. There's all this like fleeting nostalgia-y stuff. So that's daffodils. We'll listen to Summer Breaking. So this is also Kevin Parker again, featured on this track. There is this, it makes me think of, you know, Endless Summer and that kind of like... The 60s, it's almost like if uh, the Beach Boys got a little bit more funky and <laughs> more horns and like got an infusion of like blackness.
Did, did he actually, did he have anything to do with the making of the video as well? No, I didn't. I didn't, again, my point wasn't... I know, but I watched the video. That's of course you did. Because uh, it is, it seems to be a, um, like a father's nightmare about his teenage daughter, actually. <laughs> so I thought maybe he did have uh, something to do with it. Yeah, I don't think so. Right. It's it's like, you know, a, a girl going off by herself, leaving her family, but there's this, like, danger lurking everywhere. It is the father's vision of that night, <laughs> not the girl's. So I was just wondering if he had any. Right. And finally, as alluded to, here's the song that features... Uh, Stevie Wonder. This is Crack in the Pearl Part 2. There's a Crack in the Pearl Part 1 from the SRO. There's a lot of like Las Vegas imagery and name checking Doris Day and all this. That's Stevie Wonder. That's not Stevie Wonder playing the harmonica, yeah, is it? Yeah. It wasn't, um... What's his name? The famous harmonica. No, it's Stevie Wonder. So he wrote, like, half of... More than half, like, all but two songs on this record. Which, again, like, Mark Ronson is kind of the... Curator of all of these disparate folks, and kind of he knows the people to get in the room together. Anyway, so just to kind of put a button on that idea. Now we come to the part of the show where I'd like a ranking, <sighs> and so as longtime listeners. And you ought to know, but you forget week to week. Every week. I think I want to forget. Our scale is this. One being, I'd like to forget this happened. (laughs) Never think about this person again. Wipe his name from the face of the earth. (laughs) And ten being, can't wait for the next thing. Gonna go Google and look up everything. Gonna go check out all his books from the library. Listen to this album in full rather than these clips that we've played, etc. Yeah, it had me up until the music part, but I I don't mind the music part. I'm just not like in love and in love, love with, with the music. Okay. But you know what? This one is almost too easy, and it's curious to me because look, he's not your contemporary. He's mine. Right, which is what I said. And and so. This was the easiest. This one's just most over the plate thing for me. Over the plate. What's for you. interesting for me is that your sensibility is so much more like his, but you've always been sort of a collector of things that not having to do with your generation. You know, the old pop culture has always been the stuff you collect. So yeah, no problem with this. I give this one like an eight nine easily, but like duh, you know, like I need a I need a strict number. Why? So that I can rank it, comparatively speaking. Well, see, I never remember what I said well, about the matter. last things. It's almost so I like, better I think I gave said. Grimes like an eight, maybe, right? So, yeah, I'm going to give him a nine. Okay. I think you gave like an 8.5, but yeah. It's just, and can I also say, it's been a long time since I've read novels at all. So for mm-hmm. me to read so many novels is kind of 
Yeah, I will it was say kind of weird and strange. I will say, and I wasn't all that looking forward to it because, like I said, I slogged through Cavalier and Clay and never actually finished it. So it's a tome. It's pretty. It, it's pretty right. So, um, so yeah, I, I haven't gotten through it. So. Okay, so I'll give it a nine. I'll, I'll give him a nine. No, but he's very accessible for me and okay. very much cool. like I think, like I said, more me than you, and only you because you were kind of just like you know raised with, with all the stuff that are his themes mm-hmm. so, in a very jewishly self-conscious family sure so I, what i wanted to say is in my defense a peek behind the curtain is i gave you a lot more time for these so it wasn't such a horrible slog as to you know make you watch an entire season of television in one week you had like a month to peruse these okay but i'm just that's my they are still a slave driver this is still misery (laughs) there's the they are giving themselves all this credit it's still i gotta pat myself on the back no one else is gonna work baby yeah okay no so yes Yes. nine nine good one good okay but like i said like seriously and like I Jewish said, Jewish stuff, Alaska, duh, you know. But this is our kind of like, this is the like six degrees of separation thing that yeah. I'm trying to do is not only do we have our rankings to track like, you know, your kind of reception of these things, but there are certain people whose names have come up again and again and we keep teasing them and it's interesting for me to see the overlap and of course there's you know it's a business so there are reasons why people work with people it's not just everybody's friends and have to have a good time I mean all the better when they are collaborators who like get on like that but I think like there is a reason why Mark Ronson and Kevin Parker are working together they have similar sensibilities and I think my liking either or both of them has to do with that that there's an overlapping of ideas and it's interesting to me that how many people on this list have those kinds of connections with each other that these kind of for lack of a better term renaissance men or renaissance people that are you know working in pop culture on more than one level like shaban and television and film and music but primarily literature or whatever but not only is it that but they kind of find each other yeah but there's been such a flattening because of technology that i i I'm not democratization that, of the internet. Right, I'm not all that. Right, yes. you know what I mean? Like that some guy from Western Australia, yeah, I did some background, you know, would like right. come together with this. Like, not so, wow, how that happened. Right, and that's a, not just so, well, so wondrous to me. Well, it makes me think of the, you know, the mythos or the, the story behind like the postal service. I don't know if you know about that, but. Ben Gibbard's side project from Death Cab for Cutie, the Postal Service, they only had one album, and it was, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and it was early days of, like, MySpace and things like this. And the idea that they would be sending... They were all in different places sending music and right. lyrics and things across the Internet. This That's why they called it Postal Service. Right, the idea right. They were literally mailing, you know, CDs or whatever physically. And now we're in this world where, you know, obviously, you know, the click of a button or airdropping right, or which, all these different ways. But, you can just send files and everything seamlessly. So what I wonder about that is, like, there is such a web of these people who are connected. Hmm. I wonder if it's 
still somehow exclusionary, like somebody out there is doing some amazing something, but doing it alone and lonely and not connected and what that might be. And that's something that that's something that we've talked about. What's the idea of an outsider art in a world that's so flattened and connected? That kind of interests me a little bit. What I was going to say is we've talked about that in terms of like the industry I'm in. Illustration tends to be more kind of isolated. When we talked about Robert Beatty, we talked about that that he did collaborate with Kevin Parker, but it was more of a you know kind of yeah. And he's sitting in Kentucky doing it, right? So. There's that, you know, distance of whatever, whatever. Anyway, but, you know, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson were roommates in college, and Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler were roommates in college, and there was this thing I heard actually recently, Alana Glazer from Broad City and Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, that they went to NYU together. Like, there's all this overlap of, and I'm not the first person to say this, obviously, but, you know, these people find each other or whatever. It, it makes me think of uh, that Chris Miller and Phil Lord, those guys who, they did the Lego movie, and they've just now done Spider-Verse, but they're like a package deal that they, like, they've been working since USC or whatever together, and they just keep going around working together. So that's also interesting to me is, who you choose to, I'll collaborate with you on one project versus this is now a partnership and we do everything together. Like I've known some illustrators that are couples or whatever and they sign their work together. They'll do one piece that's between the two of them. Or like Eastman and Laird, the guys who wrote Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, when they first were doing it, they were literally passing pieces of illustration board they were working on back and forth between each other and it would just have both their stamps on it and you can't necessarily, you know, did he do this line or he did the other line or whatever? So that's also interesting to me where like accreditation becomes a part of it and where egos add into the mix of like, you know, when we talk about music about, you know, Kevin Parker is featured and Mark Ronson gets top billing where Ronson is like more responsible for the mix and Kevin Parker is the voice that you actually hear. And, you know, we've talked about in these... Although the very, like, produced, instrumentalized voice. Sure. So, like, I, you know, which why It's I, hard to argue. Right. That. Yeah, no, yeah. that's very much his song. Anyway, lots of ideas to kind of percolate. I think this was a good primer for uh, where we go from here. Oh, God. So, that said, <laughs> let's say goodbye. 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 Hey folks, some quick plugs because we forgot them in the actual episode. I'm at Rock and Daenerys on Instagram. That's Rock, like Rock, Paper, Scissors, and D-I-N-E-R-O-L-L. No spaces in there. Uh, my mom, Panina Hafnung, is at Panina Nista on Instagram and you can check out her Etsy store Panina's Pearls. Thanks so much. Bye.